Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of art, culture, tech, and food. I'm your host, Hashem Montasser. I wanted to share with you today a throwback to my conversation from last year with Jordanian designer Anoud Zebin. Anoud is a multidisciplinary designer who is rooted in the practice of architecture. During our conversation back in 2022, Anout shared snippets from her childhood, growing up in a family steeped in tradition and proud of its agricultural prowess. She shared with us how her upbringing has influenced her passions and ultimately her career trajectory. She also described herself as a Bedouin at heart. We were delighted to see Anout's work culminate in the setup at one of the main events of the summer the royal wedding of Jordan's crown prince, Hussein, and Saudi architect, Rajwa Saif, which took place last week in Amman. Anud, uh, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I had heard a lot about you already, and I looked a little bit into your profile and what you do. I was so intrigued, and I want to start there, because you seem to straddle a number of things. Yeah. Seemingly to the outsider, all simultaneously. You have an interest, obviously, in architecture, architecture, sorry, which is what you've studied. You have an interest in design, broadly speaking, and we'll talk about your tablescapes and your practice there in a minute. You have an interest in, um, broadly speaking, wellness and fitness and mobility, and you give mobility classes and other things. We're going to talk about that. Is there a common theme that binds all of your interests? Uh, joy, yes. Joy, that's joy. the next one. Okay. Yeah. It's seeking joy in moments. So basically all the things that I love to do. Did they develop all simultaneously? Because I can relate a little bit to this. I mean, mm. I started in banking and I'm still very interested in finance and trading. And we have the lighthouse and that is more about food and design. And, and I have my own personal interests in art and culture. So I understand having multiple interests and, 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 and apply them to your life, which I think is wonderful, honestly. So kudos to you. But uh, in my case, for example, some of them lay dormant and over time I brought them up and then eventually I tried to find a way to bind them. But it wasn't all at the same time. How was it for you? I'm curious. Was this a simultaneous eruption or was it sort of one thing after the other and then they came together? No, they were definitely one thing after the other. Okay. Um, I've always defined myself as an architect, someone who is uh, rooted in architecture. And then when I became a mom, I became, I geared more towards fitness, taking care of my body and my well-being. And then as my uh, uh, eldest daughter was growing up, I wanted to expose her more to my background, my childhood, which is very much rooted in agriculture. Because your family has an agriculture business? Yes. Okay. So I wanted to expose her to, you know, the things that I value in, in life. And let me just probe here a little bit more as well. On the fitness or on the on the mobility and movement side, was it just having a child or was it that at that point you felt, you know, you weren't happy with either your appearance or you felt you need to be healthier to deal with being a mother? What was it? So um, before I became a mom uh, working in architecture, um, I was very much aware of the amount of hours and work that as an architect dedicates in, in this practice. And I, I had a, a teacher that always used to tell me, you need to be proud and happy because you are always creating for joy for people. Working in the office, I always used to remember him saying that. And I, at the same time, remember that as I was creating joy for people, 
I think my body was paying the price. Mm. My body, my social life. So when I became a mom, the priorities were very easy to kind of shift in a way. I had to slow down and say, okay, this is the time where I'm going to dedicate time for my body, for my well-being. What was the starting point? So I was always fit okay. growing up. Okay. But specifically when I became, when I got pregnant, I was like, I'm taking a step back. Okay. So I, back then I quit my desk job and I dedicated fully to just resting in a way. Mm -hmm. It was very intuitive. It was very intuitive. I knew that I was putting so much work and that my body was um, needed rest. Were there signs or was this just your perception? I mean, was there a visible sign? Did you start having aches? No, Did my perception. Ill? My perception. Your, your feeling about your consciousness, your own feeling about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I know that I'm a very target-driven person. I'm very disciplined as well. So I know that when, when I've hit a certain intensity of work, that it's time to say, okay, I've reached that target. Let me shift a little bit. That's a pretty healthy dose of self-awareness. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm slightly I, envious. I, yeah. <laughs> I never know where to stop. And then, yeah. so, so, you know, no, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It's hard. And that's why I ask for external signs, because sometimes... The signs somebody, yeah, I mean, the signs are you just fall sick, you know, yeah. or something happens, something erupts. Yeah. So for you to by yourself say, you know what, it's I've gone too far. I have to retool. Yeah. Is remarkable. Yeah. And I maybe, maybe having a child was it was that sign for you in a way. Maybe, maybe as well. But I'm also I'm someone who's very intuitive. I journal ever since I was a child. I journal. I have. I'm quite famous with my journals, actually. I have a full library. Is of, that right? Like I was in college and I was always the one known for this girl and her journal. Was but, it specific um, Yes, a, mo a black moleskin. That was my question, yeah. Yeah. Black, black moleskin. Black moleskin, the thick uh, sketch. Uh, oh, I know them, yeah. yeah. You still use the black moleskin? Yes. So, so if we gift you something that's not a black moleskin, will you just politely take it, but then reject yes. it? Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's good to know. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Memo not to a self. Red moleskin, Memo to self. No gift to Anud of uh, anything but moleskin. <laughs> because, it's, because of the thick paper, it just absorbs all the ink. Okay. So a lot of sketches, a lot of uh, everyday life uh, snippets. And you do it from... every day? I used to almost do it okay. every day, yeah. Okay. Now it's more like once a week. Remarkable. Do you ever go back and yeah. look at them? Yeah, you always, do. yeah. Because they have really beautiful sketches, really beautiful sketches. I, I love them and they're part of my history, my my life. Would you ever share them with anyone? Uh, actually, a lot of my friends go through them as well. Oh, really? And you're okay with that? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Most people don't want anyone leafing through their journals. Actually, the thing is, um, I'm on social media and I'm very... You are active on social yes. media, and I think social media has replaced my a little that bit part of, of my journaling. journaling. Yes, yeah. so I sketch, I communicate, I express, I use even social media, my daily stories as a you know to set targets for myself and commit to these targets. What yeah. made you shift from a very private journaling process to an extremely public journaling process? That's a big shift. Yeah. Was it related to the fact that you have a business, obviously, um, that you needed to promote or showcase? 
Was it a conscious decision? Did it happen organically? Before Instagram, there was, uh, we were very active. Everyone, every designer was very active on Facebook. Um, if you flip through their profiles, everyone had these, you know, these uh, dated albums of work. Correct. So the shift to Instagram going visual was amazing for designers and architects and anyone that, ex and artists. But then, but were you conscious of that shift? Because now it's not just a CV, as you said. Yes. Your daily stories, you are effectively journaling in public. Yes. But that's a shift. And that's why you just said it yourself. You're not yeah. journaling as much yes, by but, writing in your yeah. moleskin with a thick uh, with a thick, thick paper. <laughs> okay. I'm so envious. I'm, I'm um, going to definitely find something else for her. But anyway. No, but when I also, again, when I was uh, only a mom, okay, at home in Dubai, a new mother in Dubai, uh, social media was uh, my connection to the world. And um, I wasn't happy with that. I wasn't happy with that connection. Um, I thought that a lot of the work that was being celebrated is not real. Um, and I think when I became very active, and it started off from a very physical, like fitness, it started with me sharing my fitness journey. It was a dedication to everything that was real, real work, real struggles every single day. And from there, I started shifting, I think, from sharing the physical exercise every day to sharing more the emotional, to, uh, you know, how I perceive the world, to finding design in fitness, finding what is it about uh, fitness that I love? Is it the movement? Is it the flow? Connecting to that. Then it started, my, my journal changed from being yeah. a fitness journey to how the finding beauty and the essence of movement. And connecting dots in your interest. I, I yes. saw that. Yes. So as you said now, I was smiling because <laughs> when you said design and fitness, I mean, that's one of the areas of interest to you. Yeah. And I'm going to get into the agriculture and design yes. piece as well that shows yes. up in your tablescapes, obviously. But you're connecting dots yes. slowly. I, I understood what I love about design by practicing fitness. Uh, fitness. Movements. Movement. I, I tried all sorts of modalities, all sorts of types of fitness, and I understood that continuous flow is what I love. Then I started seeing that connection in space how I design spaces, how that movement, that energy, that connection. You know, that's so interesting. I want to share a story, if you don't mind. Yeah. One of my, uh, my great uncle is an Egyptian uh, uh, artist called Mahmoud Said, well-known yeah. artist. And um, there was a, one of his paintings of men praying. Yeah. And you see they're arched. Obviously, yeah. their backs are arched. So there's this curvature. And, you know, as you all know, in a lot of Islamic countries, a lot of the doors, there's a lot of arches in general. Yes, yes. So I started realizing that he took the design, the architectural design of yeah. a lot of these homes and mosques and, you know, public spaces and weaved it into the movement yes. of those people by creating a, a, a harmony in yeah, a way. Yeah. And it sort of almost feels like, uh, yes. you know, what you're talking about is sort of similar there. There is a, there is a connecting dot between the architectural artifact and then the movement and then um your 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 practice essentially yes. it is understanding the environment around us for sure you seem very 
intuitive when it comes to understanding the environment around you. So one of the things I picked up when I was doing research for this episode is how much you contemplate and study. I'm talking now specifically about your uh, tablescapes. It's fascinating. It's also very versatile. Yes. In a, sp a span of two weeks, I saw you at a friend's common friend's house yeah. at Nada's place. Yeah. And then at the lighthouse during the pop-up. And they were completely different the uh, installations, both by you, but very differently inspired, very different yeah. concepts. Yes, yes. So there's a lot of versatility in the work, which is unusual. Yeah. And I think that that comes from the fact that I love design and I appreciate all forms and types of design. There's no one style. I see myself, my work as a like kind of a tool. If I'm smart enough to understand you, then I can service, like provide you with a service that kind of builds on your work and your design. Does that make it easier to work with repeat clients? In other words, if Hashem asked you to come and work with me on something, yeah. The first time, perhaps you don't know me so well. Does that, yeah, is that kind of a level of intimacy with your clients? Does that change yes. your process, make it easier over time? Uh, absolutely. Okay. But uh, the, the information doesn't only come from a conversation between me and you. I walk into your space and I automatically understand who you are. Uh, you know, there's this. No, we're very curious. We want to know when you walk uh, yeah. into the lighthouse, what did you think? Uh, that is just me. Like it's, you now walk I'm so in, curious. Yeah, you walk in with the strangers, with a with a fresh Sah. new eye. And that's something I always tell my clients when they're trying to recreate their interiors. You need to walk in having uh, the eyes of a stranger. What, who are you? What do you hard, perceive? Though. Yes. To see things as they are, without any emotional attachments, without the routine without anything. How does this space look like? What does it say about the person that is living and working in this space? Um, so these, this kind of information comes in from all sorts of places, from something you said, from if I know you well, your space, uh, your designs, um, all of that comes in and it's almost like you're trying to, you know, collect, collect information and then there needs to be a target. And usually the target is, um, a lot of it has to do with exploring, trusting the process, creating something new, and at the same time, uh, creating, a, I'm talking now about tablescape. Yes. A wow factor element. You need to shock. I like to shock people. Do you need to shock? Yes. But in a very do you want to way. shock or do your clients need shock or is it a factor of also social media today and needing something that's more clickable? I think most of the work that's been celebrated mm. that we are always seeing in general is mediocre. Mm. Okay. Right? Big statement, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> you pushed me to No, but I, I, I want to push you. I that's want, the whole point. I want, uh, before people, I want myself mm. to... You want to rise above the fray. I get it. Yes. But does it, I'm asking, does it need to be a shock factor? Is that an essential element? When you're in nature, you, you're, you're not thinking about anything. You're experiencing that moment, that honest moment, and this... Um, very mindful moment. I want that to happen when you're perceiving my work. I see. It's not about shocking as in, you know, I want to shock you. Lala, I'm a no, fool. I want you to be thrilled. I want you to be excited. I want you to absorb my work 
and really be present when you see my work. Not, not because I want you to acknowledge me, but I want you to show how beautiful things can be. That nature is very beautiful, that design is very beautiful. When we come back, we talk about Anur's heritage, which is steeped in agriculture, and how her need to establish roots, combined with her love of the ephemeral, creates a unique perspective on art and design. Welcome back. I'm Hashem Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Anu Zebin. The work you're doing is definitely inviting presence, right? Yeah. Because I have to take a moment, we're talking about specifically yeah. installations and tablescapes, to look at what you've done. And essentially, that creates certain stillness and a certain space for me to one way or the other interact with, with what you've put together. <clears throat> How did this come about? Was your first tablescape a personal um, attempt? Did someone prompt you by asking you to come work with them on something? Because there seems to be a very organic process here but it must have started somewhere. And you're an architect, so obviously you have the building blocks. Yeah. But it's not obvious that every architect goes and but, decides yeah. to work with installations and tablescapes and those types of things. Okay. They may have the eye, they may have the training on the process. It doesn't always transition very successfully, very I have successful. to be honest. So, I mean, my process started from uh, when I was a, a child. Okay. Again, I come from an agriculture background. So every, usually in summer, when our produce, when it's the season, farmers used to always, we used to always host and have these fruits tables, produce tables. And as a young child, I was given the task to lay out <laughs> the fruits and vegetables and kind of celebrate them, showcase them, be proud of them. And as a child, I wanted always to celebrate our produce and your heritage and my heritage so i was going to say because you just said we that's why i smiled yeah, yeah. it's how interesting how you see, see yourself very yes, much because it's tied teamwork. to this heritage because it's teamwork agriculture yeah uh seasonality does it have to do also with the heritage you you shared with me earlier that you know, the bedouin heritage on your father's side is that part of the identity being tied to land being tied to does that come in yes absolutely okay. i mean that's a whole, a big conversation. It is. It's 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 always giving back, and it's connecting to land as well. There's that. Yeah, I mean Jordan anchor. Is, I've I've I grew up hearing that Jordan is um a not a rich country. We don't have water. We don't have so much. We don't have a lot. Okay, we have hard work. If you work hard, you can you know you can rise. So, uh, and I come from a, at a, I come from a tribe that dedicated for years and years back to the land and not only agriculture, um, government and, and all of that. So I come from that line and I always thought that what I will do is I will give back. So these tables were a sense of pride for, you know, the work, my dad, um, it's also, they were colorful, beautiful, yeah, I was gonna beautiful say, projects. Celebrating beauty in many ways. Yeah. So growing up, I used to, I was given that task of laying out these, uh, okay, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the oranges and lemons and whatever exactly, comes from the land. Exactly. So, and uh, because again, back to my Bedouin 
part, we used to host a lot, almost like once a week, twice a week. And it's almost like it was a, a training for years. Yeah. You know, if, if my guests, table, doing yeah, this. if my guests come close to these, to these fruits, the more interesting they looked, that means I'm doing a great job. And uh, I understand, it was like building blocks again. So fast forward during COVID, we all intuitively reached out to nature. صح. I cannot forget when, uh, when we first went to the supermarket, me and my husband, and he's going to kill me for this, but it's okay. That's perfectly fine. He, re- he was reaching out to all the canned stuff. You know, <laughs> trying to, okay. He like, might kill you for this. I'm just yeah, say. Yes. We won't edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked, at, I looked at him and I'm like, this is definitely my nightmare. No way. I'll go hungry and I won't eat this. I always remember this because later I understood that moment. Uh, my appreciation to agriculture and green. Because in COVID, that's when it like boomed. I always understood that we come from that background, but I never understood that it's so much in me that I need to celebrate it. It's, it's integral to your identity yeah. and to who you are, what yeah. your beliefs as well. It's exactly. very obvious. I, I mean, obvious today, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, um, I remember me and a couple of my friends, we were five. We started organizing these uh, get-togethers, get-togethers, this small supper club, and they're all great cooks. So when it was my turn, my way of celebrating them was creating these tablescapes. Oh, and it was a natural, yeah, natural connection to nature. The, the, the stuff I did in COVID for me and my friends, uh, pure, pure dedication and connection to my home in Jordan and in, to nature as well, in general. It's a little bit weird and it's gonna sound weird, but like <laughs> I'd miss my grandma, uh, she passed away after after a couple of years, but <laughs> I yeah she's a big part of my my upbringing. So I miss her. You'd react to this. I'd react to that, and it would end up with a full fully pressed flower table with resin on top, and it's like execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. This Not, is your way of celebrating her life. Yeah. So it wasn't like a small thing, and then I think that picked up. The second things were started opening up after COVID. I had a lot of requests, people. And it became a business. And it became Literally. a business. And I'm like, Amazing. guys, I, I work on interiors. Like I do other things. When Everybody wants your table. No, you became like yes. a, a sensation of some sorts. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I, you know, so many people talked about it yeah. and it was so sought after and still, which is amazing, but it happened so organically. Yes. This was not a forced process. Yes. No. Do you have a preference for public events versus private events in the sense that private events tend to be seen by fewer people. I'm, I'm using this as an analogy to something that I think about quite, quite a bit. And I think maybe I alluded to, to you about this. Um, when we looked at a program to promote artists at the Lighthouse, one of my main points where there are so many amazing Arab artists that are only seen in close spaces, well, yeah. whether homes or more museums, and galleries, and those can be intimidating. Mm. And we wanted to shorten this distance yes. by putting them at the lighthouse, which is more of a public space and a restaurant space yes. and so on and so forth. And a lot of artists reacted really well to this. They were like, we're so happy you're doing this because this does not be- 
belittle the art, blacks, it elevates it. Yeah, yeah. And it gives it exposure of a different type. Is that something you think about? Because you do a bit of both. You do private yeah. events, you do public events. Um, I mean, the thing is that I w every project requires different roles from me. So in private events, I take on the interior designer, the product, uh, I create products, design, execute. It's not only the table. I walk in as an interior designer, so I, we can transform, you know, we can create like entire, space. entire spaces, installations, and there's so much exploration from table all the way to lighting. Um, that's private. When it's public, um, I think because of the nature right now, because I'm now starting to take yeah. On bigger Yeah, bigger events. projects and more public projects. Yes, yeah. I think people still don't understand that I can do the full spectrum. So, so far now, I'm limiting myself. Oh, they're limiting me. Here's your space. I Here's go my play. space. Yeah, yeah, this is the decorative <laughs> element of the table <laughs> yeah. that you will be designing. The plates are from here that I don't know yeah, what's yeah. from here. And then I look at the plate and it's like, what <laughs> is this? You know, but then I can relate to this. Yeah, but then it's, it's the floral. But um, it's all very exciting because it, it, um, I can intensify my work in different ways. Um, but do I have a preference? I don't think I do. Um, I, va I really value when my client uh, understands my designs and really appreciates my designs. So that's what I look for. I look for that joy, for that connection that... Did you understand me? Yes, I understood you. We have that connection. Yes, that's the, that's the beauty. That's where I feel rewarded. One of the things I spoke to Anud about during our episode was the balance between the temporary and the permanent and how there's an interesting juxtaposition when you start thinking about whether something is lasting or fleeting. This reminds me of my conversation with design wunderkinder Davide Nicola, who spoke about how time in and of itself can be a marker in design. There is many topics that comes when we speak about time. It's to have a piece that you can just give to your to the next generation, something that will stay forever. Okay, and to have something like this is a, is that is the idea is to create a piece that will be okay, as you know, timeless. So uh, working with time is like when we design a piece, we we and it's also where retrofuturistic comes comes in is like. We, we get inspired from the past, but also from the future. We're trying to mix things together uh, in a special, special uh, narrative. Now, how to put them together in a, a very good harmony, not doing like something futuristic and some, sometimes like something very vintage. But, you know, when you, you look at our work, it's like there is an evolution. Is there a joy or a frustration with the fact that uh, these installations and tablescapes are ephemeral and temporary. For someone that comes from an architectural background, where you're used to developing things that are very much not temporary, they're very much you know about permanent. permanent. There's a permanence. Yeah. And I I love this concept by the way because you're playing with it in many ways. And I always I have a personally I have a fascination with ephemeral, temporary. Yeah things because yeah. i you know i find it fascinating that one would put that kind of effort into something that will vanish in a week 
But you've come from a, the opposite background in that sense. Yeah. How do you interact with that? Uh, I see it from different uh, different ways. Um, I love energy and movement. And uh, I don't like when things take so long. Mm. Because I want you to experience them mm. right now, now. And in, in its intensity and it's in season. Um, so temporary installations give me that satisfaction. Um, and... Also, and that's, I guess, maybe the appreciation of movement and energy and the, that change. But then I experience the opposite when I'm about to leave the installation or my table. I going to be gone in a day. Yeah, or... I sit there and I look at it and I almost like say goodbye. Do you document an archive? Yes. You do? Yeah. So there is a way of holding on to those, yes. to that yes. work. But, but because you study a lot and you you put yourself in a position where you are one with the work for so much so, so much that when you say goodbye it's like you're really saying goodbye to a friend to a piece of work to a piece of art and saying okay you know letting go here's my pop psychology moment you know you started with journals that are very permanent that are in writing and then you move to social media, which is not permanent. It, may, yes. it is in some ways, but digital and, and, and ephemeral, and especially, you know, stories and so on and so forth. And you're an architect working on permanent sculpt, uh, structures, moving on to now uh, sort of, yeah. So that's very interesting. And you seem very comfortable with that journey. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know, two very different things. Now I'm realizing yeah. that. <laughs> but that's why I asked, are you archiving this, which is interesting. So you're really bringing it back almost... Uh, 360 degrees, right? You're starting here, but so the journaling and archiving element, to me, that's why I asked about it. It's very interesting. Um, but it's also very interesting because you are rooted, and you spoke about this, mm -hmm. your roots in, in Jordan, your roots in to, to your culture and background. Um, yet you seem very comfortable with change and fluidity. Most people that are this rooted, they, they, like, they need this anchor. You yeah, know, uh, yeah. and change does not necessarily correspond to 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 anchoring something. I think, uh, I mean, in our, when it comes to architecture, the process sometimes never ends. You work for a full <laughs> year on a, on a project. and Which frustrates you. It frustrates you and then it dies. And sometimes a project doesn't go to, doesn't, done, it's over. This is exactly the opposite, yes. what you're doing now. This is beginning and end. A beginning and end, and you see it, you experience it, and you see others celebrating it. I think um, that's that's when it comes to ar architecture versus maybe you know temporary. But also a little bit of both, right? So you look at, for example, artists and photographers. We ha we were talking about Hazam Harb, which is the piece that's sitting in the White House. He takes archival images and appropriates them and manipulates them. Yeah. And in some ways, you're doing something similar because you're taking. Parts of your heritage, whether it's food, design elements, and so on, you're appropriating them, you're manipulating them, changing them, and making them look like something else. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting. It's a little bit of both because there is that fixed, fixed, fixed yeah. part and there's the ephemeral part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's maybe your way of interacting with it. I don't know. I, I'm going to stop my, my, my pop psychology, but but it's very interesting to me. This I practice. never thought of it that way, honestly. But I think I just... I, I like to feel and sense the energy and movement in space. Even if I've worked on something, like, uh, for example, I'll give you a simple example. It's my parents' house. It was my baby. I, we, 
I worked on from worked on it from A to Z. A to Z. Now when I look at it, I don't see it as a, you know, a building, something that I've built. I look at it as, you know, what are the shadows? I see the shadows. I see the greenery that changes every year. Whenever I go and visit them, I see, oh, this tree has grew. Now it's shading on this side. That I love the movement around this fixated element. I love that more so than the permanent. Yeah. What do your girls think about what you do? My girls. <laughs> <laughs> My girls. I. I mean, I do. I really don't know. But do you, do you talk to them about it? Do you get your opinion on? particular installations or, or some some of your work or no? Yeah, well, I mean, my eldest uh, experienced experienced the first like, uh, design. Uh, How design old is your eldest? Eight. And the I other one to... is three, so she's a bit young. Yeah, uh, but the, the young, my youngest experienced COVID with me. Ah, so she was at so, home with you and yeah, saw. Yeah, so uh, my youngest continuously collects stones. Interesting. And flowers. She's a mini anode. It's insane. It's hilarious. Uh, and both of them randomly, as they're walking, they stop and stretch. Or they, you know, like do all you sorts of movement. And you I, randomly stopped and stretched just a few minutes ago. Yeah. But <laughs> like, and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, uh, we're in a public space. Like, yeah. just sit down. There's yeah. no need to, you know, down dog, yoga. I don't know. You know? I wonder where they got it from. <laughs> but um but they're they're very comfortable with um my eldest is very comfortable with redecorating all the time her own room her or, own or room, everything her the house and i'm like slow down this we need this we but she's she's part of that conversation but i thought that this was normal i mean we did this growing up do you remember well. your yeah. mom moving things around all the time? Most yeah. definitely, <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah, so uh, they are creative in their own way. Has your success in your practice, be it your mobility practice, your design practice, helped you uh, see Dubai as a home? Has it anchored you here? Because we spoke offline about you growing up in Jordan moving to Lebanon for almost 10 years, working there, and then coming here, and there was a certain level of resentment maybe in the early stages, which is normal when one moves. Yes. Has this now helped you reconcile and feel more at home? Absolutely. Um, when I first moved to Dubai, I saw it from a, a 2010, correct? Yeah, from a tourist point of view. Again, my the architecture school that I went to, I think, was a bit of a socialist, had the so socialist view on architecture. The AOB? Yeah. So coming here was like accepting the fast-paced life and city. Oh, in a more commercial, yeah. visibly commercial way, right? Yes. In some ways, at least compared to certainly AOB and Beirut. Yes, but I went on a, for, I'd say, years trying to understand the city why it developed in that way why is this highway here why are those banners covering things behind and not in other places what's happening um but it was until i became a mom 
in Dubai that, and I picked up on fitness, that I started to connect with people that had similar interests when it came to fitness. Um, then during COVID, I would say. COVID is the time where I connected to people from here, to mm. Emiratis mm. and non-Emiratis who were born here. And that changed my perception of Dubai the and this yeah, place. Because I started relating to the space as my home and I started to explore home. So I now see. I'm on a mission. That's so interesting. You were no longer looking at it from, as you said, a tourist perspective yes. or an outsider's perspective. Yes. That takes time. I feel the same way. Yes. I wasn't as critical. I had enjoyed Dubai from, from the beginning for different reasons. But I do um, but I do appreciate that making it your own takes time. Um, and also obviously meeting uh, Emiratis and people that grew up here yeah. creates a bit of, again, anchor. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my home, 10 years ago, it was a collection of my Your past life. Yes, my grandma's yeah. uh, cabinets and my I've brought in everything to kind of anchor me and ground me. Now it's completely different. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I can relate to that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but home means that I need to know every single alley and rock and plant and I need to understand everything now. That's where my mission, and now I'm now on a mission to really understand what is there to explore in terms of craftsmanship, in terms of traditions, culture, what it means to, what, what does the heritage here, what does the culture here mean? I, I need to understand that juxtaposed with Well, what's so interesting here is there's a, and I differentiate between the heritage and culture. Mm. I think what you're doing is making culture. In some ways, I think what we're doing, all of us collectively, is weaving the fabric of Dubai's culture. Mm. Mm -mm. We, you use the heritage as a base, as a jumping point. Mm. But because we are not from here, I think we're reinterpreting it in, in our eyes, in our ways. And I find that fascinating. That's a very, very interesting way of, of, living of living. Because growing up in Egypt, or for you growing up in Jordan, you can do that. People are rooted there. They grew up there. They stay there. They yes. die there. They may have an ability to reinterpret certain elements, but it's very much of a more, much more of a homogenous yes. society with similar, sharing similar roots. We don't have that here. Yes. You know, we have, of course, certain shared traits. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, we come in from different angles but build something together. I find that very interesting. And Dubai really gives you that platform. It really does. Yes. I mean, Dubai now to me is, a, um, you know, I can't create the same way in my hometown. There isn't a market for it. Yeah. So. Uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, yes. There isn't a market for it. There isn't a market for it. So, and I need to acknowledge that. Um, all my life, I dreamt I'm going to go back to Jordan and have an office and give back but it's not the case right now. So I see my role, uh, my role has changed completely. I define myself in a different way. But um, Dubai definitely provides the market. Um, that melting point of so many cultures. What fascinates me that every, every nationality has a supermarket. Yeah. The, this alone is I don't super. know if there's Egyptian supermarkets, but anyway, I will investigate. <laughs> but isn't this <laughs> yes, amazing? It is. 
It is. So it's like a, a, you're peeking into all sorts of cultures, nationalities, um, and it's amazing. But on a personal level, as a Bedouin, I'm relating a lot to the culture here. There are certain things that I did not know that I have in common with the local, I would say, not only Emiratis, like in general, this region, the Gulf. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, There's collecting tissue for sure, yeah. even historically. Yeah, I mean, I love sitting on the floor. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my clients, and that's something, maybe it's a simple thing, but because my mom comes, she's Jordanian, but comes from the city. Mm. My dad is Bedouin. <laughs> yeah. So she used to always tell my dad, why are you sitting on the floor? Sit on, <laughs> why are we have couches? What are you? But my dad's like, that's I'm Bedouin. Comfort this is yeah. my, I'm grounded. So, Two years ago, I had uh, a client in Abu Dhabi, and she opened my my she opened my perspective. And meeting her was such an honor, and because we connected on all sorts of levels, from sitting on the floor to connect connection to design, to the quality of the pro, it she opened my eyes, and ever since I met that. Woman. Uh, that woman i'm i'm i want to i want to explore absolutely let me go back to this element because it's obviously very important to you of giving back so you mentioned this very clearly as part of your heritage your bedouin heritage growing up mm. how your family your dad perceived mm. things how do you plan to do that? Because to your point now, this is your new home in a different world. If you are about to go back to Jordan, that's an easy way yeah. to do it. But you're not doing this right now. No. So how do you um, feel about giving back? And what capacity do you feel? Because I think it's important to you. Yes. You would be eventually uh, able to do that. I think we are so lucky to be in a place where things are happening, mm. where we are given a voice to explore and create and produce. And that's not where I come from. We are, uh, you know, always importing culture from abroad, production from abroad. What's beautiful about Dubai here, that we are creating this narrative, we are creating this story. And I want to be part of that story um, of creating uh, and being part of the story of the UAE. Um, things are moving and it's this energy is moving and I think that we're lucky to be part of that I think so too Anut thank you that was uh, <laughs> eye opening to say the least thank um, you and I look forward to uh, joining one of your mobility classes I'm so curious anytime I become more flexible <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, you very for much. having me that was great thank you Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hashem Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Design and our content director is Farhash Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find in any of the podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. I'll see you in two weeks.